You are listening to To The Top Talk with Jamie Arrington. Thank you, Jamesy. And Jason Bailey. Bump is uh, pretty good. But the reality is... They don't know, man! I've been looking forward to To The Top Talk. You know, I have that with myself every night. Put that in your pipe and smoke it and see what you come up with. What's going on? What's happening? How you guys doing? Welcome to The Top Talk with Jamie Arrington. I am your host, Jamie Arrington. Broadcasting from the Hub City Comedy Studio in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. If this is your first time listening, this is your break from all of the High Resource 5 propaganda in the mainstream sports media to talk about the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles. We've got a great interview for you guys today. We'll get to that in a minute, but first, let's go through a little housekeeping. Uh, Eagle Fest weekend is coming up this weekend. It's going to get kicked off with a uh, youth football clinic, pre-spring game youth football clinic from 10 to 11 a.m. You can find all this information on southernmiss.com. Then the Champions Brunch will go from 10 to 11.30 inside the Touchdown Club in the end zone. Uh, The guests are going to be Rick Cleveland, Hill Denson, William Lewis, and Jeff Bauer. Uh, They're going to share stories about John Cox as they are celebrating Coxie's, well, I don't know how long he's been. He's been here a long time. So it's going to be all about some Coxie. So uh, tickets are $35. If they have any left, you may want to contact the ticket office if you are interested in that. And then the annual spring game will take place at noon, 12 p.m., the honorary coaches will be Jim Carmody, who was a coach from 82 to 87, and Curly Hallman, who was a coach from 88 to 90. Uh, that's going to be a free game. So no reason not to check that out if you are in and around the Hub City. Also, after that, you can head over to the Pete as the Golden Eagles take on Middle Tennessee State. They'll be taking on Middle 10 Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, and then the Golden Eagles are going to come back home on Tuesday that's April the 24th uh, with the rematch against South Alabama. Golden Eagles had a solid weekend this weekend going, I guess, two out of three on the weekend and three out of four on the week. So uh, last night they defeated Southeastern Louisiana 12-4. to Over the weekend they took the three-game series against FIU, winning 5 to nothing on Friday. Losing five to four on Saturday, and then turning around with the run rule, a thirteen to one victory on Sunday. Um, the funny thing about that is they—I don't know if you guys know what Barstool is. Barstool is like it started off kind of like a sports blog. It's kind of like, and they kind of expanded. They have Barstool accounts for you know different universities, so people will run them. And whoever was running the FIU account, he started off the weekend. He was like, "Hey, I." I, I wish there was a Southern Miss account I could talk trash with or something. So, you know, of course, Southern Miss fans obliged him. And then he tweeted uh, this foolishness. He said, rumor has it that's, uh, that the fans at Southern Miss heckled FIU players every game last year. It'd sure be a shame if FIU fans did anything like that twice as loud tonight. Of course, that was when they got housed five to nothing. Um, a funny fact, this according to Heath Hinton. FIU had 278 in attendance that night. So don't uh, don't let your mouth write checks, or I guess your, your thumbs or whatever. Don't let your thumbs write checks that uh, your school team can't back up. But it's hilarious. It's all in fun. So a little back and forth banner. I, tr- I said something to the guy, but he never replied. I was hoping to bait him into, into talking a little smack, but he wasn't having it, which is fine. Not, not on our level. Also, uh, like we said, uh, you know, regarding football, next weekend will be the NFL draft. It starts on Thursday night, I guess a week from tomorrow as of this recording. And, you know, we got several Golden Eagles in the mix. There's some that could go as, as early as second day. Um, I'd love for them to go the first day, but there's only one round on the first day, and I haven't seen anybody projected as a first-round pick. So hopefully we'll be uh, – next week we're going to be talking about the spring game as well as the NFL Draft. Also, I've got a comedy show next week. I'm not on this one, but it is in Hattiesburg. If you're into this kind of thing, you may want to Google these guys and check and make sure that they are the kind of acts you want to check out. Uh, Chris Charpentier and Dave Ross are going to be at the Thirsty Hippo. That's on Saturday, April 28th. 
uh, Chris Charpentier, you may have seen him on Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel Live or Those Who Can't. And Dave Ross, good friend of mine, uh, been on several shows on Comedy Central. Most recently, he was on Corporate, had a great reel on that. I love that show, so I'm excited to see him after that performance. But uh, that's going to be Saturday night. Tickets are $10. The show starts at 8 p.m. So Google those guys. Make sure that they're the kind of type of comedy you're into before you come out. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be announcing the big Last for Life show, which will be taking place later this summer with a, a big name coming back to the Hub City. So that's going to be a lot of fun as well. All right. So Jason Bailey, back on the mound this week. He's he's running the interview this week. I had a great interview with a former pitcher here at Southern Miss. Pitch back in my day, pitch back in Jason's day, so to speak. So here he is. Without any further ado, you guys enjoy this interview with former Southern Miss pitcher Tyler Key. Okay, on the line with me right now, a Lumberton High School standout, three-year letter winner at Southern Miss, had five saves in 1998, ten saves in 1999. Led USM in appearances in 1997, 1998, and 1999, and is seventh all-time in saves in Southern Miss history. Please welcome to the line Tyler Key. What's up, man? Hey, Bump. How are you, man? Good to talk to you. Man, doing fantastic. Uh, been wanting to get you on the line for a little while. We had a we had an interview. I don't know if you heard it. But I interviewed Dusty Haley a couple weeks back, and he just knocked it out of the park. And you know, all you guys that really just it, it, that people may not have heard from for a little while, but kind of, you know, paved the way for where Sotomayor's program is today. I wanted to get you guys on the line and just talk a little bit about it. So thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's always good to uh, talk Sotomayor's baseball. Absolutely. So are you at all disappointed that I didn't lead in with the fireman? You know, I, I didn't know how to start when I didn't hear the song play, and I didn't know where I was supposed to walk backwards or forwards. So I was a little bit confused there for a second. Right, right. And if you guys that are listening that may not know, um, Tyler probably had the best, you know, coming out song of all time. They called him the Fireman, so they played, you know, what was that, George Strait singing the Fireman? George Strait, that's who it was. I, I can thank Mike Federico for that uh, entire uh display of entertainment or whatever you'd like to call it but that was all on uh who was a player mike federico at the time just to show my age a little bit uh that was that was all on him that was a song he would sing to me as i was getting loose for one of my appearances he was our catcher in the bullpen at the time uh he'd come in late defensively and things of that sort but he would sing that song to me just to kind of clear my head and, and my thoughts and uh, get me prepared, and it kind of took off from there. And if I'm not mistaken, you were the uh, you were on the little, I guess you got to do a photo shoot. Um, I remember seeing a schedule uh, with you sitting on top of the fire engine in the uh, fireman's gear and all that. I mean, what, what was that like? Uh, that was about 40 pounds ago, and uh, <laughs> that, was, that was the closest thing I'll ever be to a model, I guess. Yeah, they... Uh, Big Rick uh, came up to me one day and asked me, told me where to be and what to do. I had no idea any of that stuff was coming up. And really the whole fireman thing kind of took off from there. And, and he went to the Hattiesburg Fire Department, got to put on that gear, learned a whole lot of respect for those guys, the fact that they do what they do wearing that gear because I just had it on with a T-shirt on and was uh, it made for a long day. But it was, it was definitely a, a memory that I'll never forget getting to do something like that. Uh, you know, small town guy from Lumberton, Mississippi, and uh, you know, just getting to be out and, and doing things like that was something I'll never forget. Hey, shout out to all the firemen out there, including listener of the show Lee Ramsey Smith. I see Lee out in the roost every time I go out to game, and and um, and Lee is uh, Lee is one of a kind. <laughs> but um, so so <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if you know Lee or not, but anyway, um, so out of high school. What was your uh, what was your recruitment? You went to Lumberton High School, just south of Hattiesburg. Um, what was your recruitment like coming out of high school? Well, to be honest with you, Bump, that, that you know I was a small town school, two A high school. Uh, didn't really get much recruiting, I would say. I had a you know a couple letters here or there from different schools. South Alabama showed some interest, uh, but Southern Miss just I mean they offered me the opportunity, and that's basically what it was was an opportunity. I was a walk on, an invited walk on. 
uh, that had to come in and earn my spot. So that was something that uh, I, I cherished and, and looked forward to. You know, not many kids back then. It's small schools were hard to find, and, and, you know, we weren't playing the big schools all the time, but Lumberton had a great baseball program, which kind of helped because they had some tradition there. And uh, Coach Lambeth extended an opportunity uh, for me to be an invited walk-on, and I kind of took it from there. And obviously uh, a lot of changes in the way I pitched from the minute that I got there to uh, how how things ended up. And I think that that leads me into my next question, uh, talking about how you pitch. Can you talk a little bit about how you started throwing sidearm, or as Coach Palmer would refer to it, as an undershooter? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I came into Southern Miss at 84 to 86 miles an hour. Three-pitch guy, I thought. Come to find out, my changeup wasn't very good. <laughs> uh, had a had a welcome to D1 baseball in our first inter-squad uh, the first fall of, of 94. Uh, got on the mound, thought I was this big cat from Lumberton. We'd just been in the state championship, and the uh, first pitch I threw, which I thought was a good pitch, was a double down the line. So <laughs> that was my welcome to college baseball moment and realized that uh, I had kind of stepped off into it. So the way it kind of came about is obviously my velo, uh, my velocity wasn't, wasn't you know, plus, what they would consider plus. I was a location and movement type guy. And Coach Lambert called me into the office one day and said, hey, we want to drop you down. And I said, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> that's that's kind of where things took a mind of their own, and, and we went through the basics of, of doing that. And, and granted, I was not even a sidearm guy or three-quarter guy before that. I was an over-the-top, traditional, you know, two-seam, four-seam fastball guy. So it was, it was night and day for me, but... I kind of saw early on that for me to have a place at Southern Miss, I had to do and, and wanted to do whatever they asked of me. And if dropping down was it and it gave me an opportunity to play, then that's what I was going to do. And I, you know, I would go, I would go out to the bullpen on off days and, and during off season and things of that and just grab a bucket of balls and uh, get the net out in the bullpen down there that we're all familiar with. And I would just throw. I would just continually throw, trying to make this, trying to make this a habit, trying to develop that muscle memory, mm-hmm. trying to get things to to where they actually felt normal. Because believe me, when they first started this, there was nothing normal about it. Right. Absolutely. So, and you kind of just did, really. But just to the listeners out there that might not know anything about baseball at all, they just they go to a game, they know what the pitcher does, they know you know where the fielders are located, they know what a hitter is. But you know some of the kind of the game within the game, the intricacies of the game. Um, can you kind of explain to the listeners the aspect of control versus velocity? Absolutely. It's, you know, I, I kind of grew up watching the Maddoxes and the Glavins and those guys. And, and if for those people that know baseball, know those names. They weren't radar guys. Obviously, they could touch 90, 92, and they wanted to. And not to say I was anywhere close to that, but that was kind of – that was kind of the motto that I followed in my career because I was never a plus velocity guy. So I had to kind of be crafty. So when you're talking movement, obviously, you know, you have people that throw 94 miles an hour, 96 miles an hour, but if it's straight, good hitters are going to hit that. It, it's what they see every day. You have to do things in a hitter's mind to change what we call change their eyes, change their sight. You got to move their hands. So when you're throwing anything, you want balls to go up, down, left, right, more up, down than anything because left, right doesn't really change their hands. So anything you can throw with sink, anything you can throw that gets in on their hands, that looks straight, that's all That's all plus for a pitcher regardless of what your velocity is. And, you know, Greg Maddox said a long time ago that he never throws a strike and, unless he has to. You know, why throw a ball over the white when you're 0 when you're when you're 1-0, you know, the only time you got to throw a strike is when it's 3-0. So until it gets to that point, let's work the count. Let's get a hitter looking at something that looks good. And uh, then it kind of disappears. And before you know it, you got a ground ball with a guy on first, and you got a double play. And what went from trouble all of a sudden becomes you're a hero. And I kind of, to be honest with you, I kind of lived off that motto because uh, there were a lot of gems that I either created myself or were put into that uh, one good pitch kind of made everything look okay. And, you know, you brought up an interesting point there that it kind of got me thinking about 
Nick Sandlin a little bit. He moved from the bullpen uh, to a starting role, the Friday role, no less, uh, this year, and has just absolutely dominated. Well, during that domination, or while he's out there just throwing up Ks one after another, the pitch count tends to go up as well. So as far as, you know, you're talking about moving the ball around, changing their hands, would you rather have the 14 strikeout days or would you rather you you mentioned Greg Maddox I mean Greg Maddox would throw a complete game 92 pitch two hitter you know with just a ton of broken bats uh broken bat ground balls to the second baseman does that make sense I mean which would you rather prefer yeah I'm I I teach and you know in like in my you know in my off time I, I do some coaching and things of that sort I teach pitch to contact because mm-hmm. today's game is about it's about the pitch count. And if you're striking guys out, I mean three pitches to every guy if you're perfect, that's nine pitches of inning. Nine pitches an inning. Mm-hmm. If you throw three ground balls in a row, that's three pitches an inning. You're gonna last a lot longer. Now granted, there are times in a game when you need a punch out, you need a strikeout. You gotta be able to do that. But if you're not in those situations, I'm a pitch to contact guy. You know, if, as long as you're pitching corners and, and, and touching on the black and things of that sort and, and down in the zone, you don't really have to worry about getting hurt that bad. Now, that's easier said than done, obviously, but that's kind of how I lived was at the caps and on the black. And I would much rather come in and get those ground balls, keep everybody interested in the game, because I think you'll see if you check stats in baseball, if you've got guys that are strikeout guys, it tends to put defenses to sleep behind you. So when contact is made, then, you know, you may have, obviously, you know, these guys are, are good defensively, but your, your fielding percentage may be a little lower when you have a lot of strikeout guys because they're not as prepared or as into every pitch because they're expecting swing and misses all the time. So as far as I go and the things that I teach and the things that I like to talk pitching about is pitch to contact. If you can get one pitch, one out, You've done your job. You know, the pit, the, the strikeout to a pitcher is like the home run to a hitter. It's flashy, but it may not have you in there in the seventh, eighth inning, and you may be gone because in the sixth inning, you're at 95 to 100 pitches and you're done. Right. Well, and along those same lines, I can tell you, I would much rather play defense up the middle behind, you know, a guy, <laughs> a guy throwing a ton of ground balls, which, I mean, to, to, and to your point, you're focusing. You're looking at the. Uh, you're looking at the catcher's signals. You're getting your prep step, and you do that over and over and over and over. And baseball is a game where you you stand around an awful lot, and then you have to do something really important really quickly. <laughs> so if you can do that more often, it just keeps you in the game a little bit more. But um, that's exactly yeah, that's exactly right, Bump. And, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but anytime you're keeping everybody involved, and and you know they know you're going to be around the plate, they know that you know that that hitters are going to be it's, you're, you're a contact guy then they're going to be ready they're going to be on their toes and they're going to be moving and, and not complacent and they're like you said their prep step and their preparation for every pitch which side of the rubber do you throw on i went as far right as i could because being a side armor i wanted that advantage of coming from behind a right-handed hitter mm-hmm. now obviously with a lefty uh I don't know if I'm, I'm sure you've pulled stats, but, uh, there was a fight at the bat rack when I came in the mound. <laughs> Lefties that, that, uh, had a bat with them usually got an opportunity. You know, you mentioned those stats. I know I didn't pull those. And it's not like you and I are dinosaurs, but if you get like back to like before 2000, and people don't realize that was really before internet stuff, you're going and you're pulling like, uh, pictures of newspaper box scores and, um, you know, I've got a big boy job during the day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, you're exactly right. And, and, and I've probably got a few appearances in a few games where I'm glad that those stats aren't, aren't readily available because, uh, if you listen to Coach Palmer, it wasn't one of my best outings. That's for sure. Yeah. No doubt. Heck, at this, I mean, you know, I, I honestly just hope that the stats I read off at the beginning were accurate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's, I can tell you that I threw a lot. Yes. Uh, you know, my role on the team was a closer, but in those days, you know, the bats were hot. Uh, the scores were different back then. A five-run deficit was not a big deal. And uh, I was a closer that threw anywhere from the first inning to the ninth inning. Uh, I, there were many times with Coach Palmer 
where I actually got loose in the bullpen with my turfs on because I did not put my spikes on early in the game, thinking it was too early for something like that. Mm-hmm. And I knew better than to tell him I was unprepared, so I just went and got loose with the got loose with the turfs on. What do you make of all these arm injuries? I mean, it seems like it's it's even it's making its way to like junior high level now with just Tommy John becoming second nature. Um, do you have any thoughts on on just in my opinion? I, I think guys chase the radar gun number a little too much, and granted, it'll get you drafted. But to your point just a minute ago about throwing ground balls and pitching to contact, do you think that's that, that's kind of gone, or is there any correlation there? I think I'm a firm believer, Bump, in the fact that these arm injuries are coming from year-round baseball. Uh, I coached the travel team for the past eight or nine years, and I would take a group of kids and I'd keep them for four or five years to kind of develop those guys that wanted and showed interest in baseball and, and hopefully getting them to the next level, which for them was high school. But I never did fall ball. I advised and hoped that every one of them would go play something else. I'm a firm believer that you learn other things that help you in baseball from other sports, whether it be soccer, basketball, football. You know, football teaches you the aggressiveness. Basketball teaches you some eye-hand coordination. Soccer teaches you agility. I mean, all those things are things that you can translate and correlate to baseball that are saving your arm because when these guys are going through these growth spurts at 11, 12, 13 years old, they're growing tremendously fast. And when you're throwing a baseball, you're keeping those muscles all stretched out. And you're not giving your bones and your muscles, in my opinion, I'm obviously not a doctor. I graduated in marketing. But it just, if you look back at the pattern, when these, when these travel teams and all these things started popping up, you would see that these Tommy Johns and these arm injuries and these young ages that we've never seen before started popping up about the same time. So, I mean, the evidence is there that that's that's it's coming from the fact that these kids never rest they're go they they think they have to be at these showcases in the eighth and ninth and tenth grade and what i try to tell people all the time is if you're good enough in today's age they're gonna find you you don't have to go find them they will find you and it's not hard for them to do yeah i mean absolutely um heck i know back in the day I, you know, I, I, outside, like I grew up around the Jackson area, went to Northwest Rankin High School. I, I didn't know if anybody was looking. I didn't know if the, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a, just a plethora of information out there just to click away like it is uh, these days for sure. Um, but you're talking about Coach Palmer just a minute ago and the shoe situation down there. I've always wondered what it's like in the bullpen. Like, what do you guys do down there to, to the people that are listening right now that go to a lot of games and, and they, they look at you and they see you. What are you guys doing down there? Well, I would like to tell you that we're into every pitch and uh, we're watching every play and we're just waiting on our turn, but that would be a lie. <laughs> uh, in the early days of my Southern Miss career, Jeremy Williamson's mom would bring brownies to every game. So we'd nice. have a little snack while we're down there waiting. Uh in Coach Denson's days there, it was a little looser than it was when uh, when Coach Farmer was there. We'd have a little wolf ball game back in the back of the bullpen or maybe throw a left-handed pin occasionally just to work on our other stuff. Uh, so there are some good times to be had in the bullpen, and there are a lot of stories that are told, uh, a lot of a lot of truth, a lot of lies. You've you got to decipher between the two and figure out that the truth is in the middle somewhere. But uh, – when it comes down to it, you know when it's time to get serious down there, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth inning, you kind of see how a game's unfolding, know if you're kind of going to fit in the rotation that night or not. And and uh, the tone definitely changes as the game goes on down in the bullpen, that's for sure. When I go to games, I, I have friends that I sit with. Uh, I'm sure you know uh, Rick Maddox, Todd Maddox, Will Taylor, John Smith, John Adams, all those guys. Um, Absolutely. And and uh, Dave Bush, another guy, and those guys give it to the bullpen, the opposing bullpen, bullpen pretty hard, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> now, as far as away games go, um, mm-hmm. was there any place that you just kind of dreaded to go because you knew that there was going to be something similar to that? Yeah, and, and it was obviously the in-state guys. 
uh, as much as I hate to give credit to Ole Miss for anything, uh, they did their research up there. They knew your mama's name, your girlfriend's name. They knew everything about you uh, and, and weren't afraid to, to be loud and vocal all the time about anything and everything. You know, I'll tell you a funny story about Ole Miss. You know, the coaches tell you it's going to be rowdy when we go up here. You guys don't listen to it. And uh, we had a coach at the time, and I won't say his name over the air, but they're giving him they're giving him hail for for seven innings, and finally he just comes in and he says, "Am I fat? Am I fat? Why do they keep calling me fat?" <laughs> so I mean, he's telling us not to let him get to him, and obviously it has worn him down, and and he just needs some confidence builders from us in the dugout, and obviously we told him what he needed to hear, but uh, it was uh. It was just a lesson in, uh, you know, do what I do what I say, not what I do, for sure. You know what the weird thing is? If the if the pitcher or the bullpen catcher or the protector, or as Will Taylor likes to call him, the catcher watcher, if any of those guys uh, turn around and try to give it back, that's the mistake. If you turn around, it's, or it seems to me like if they, if, yeah, if they turn around and they just kind of go along with it and they laugh it off, it's pretty much over. You know, the only time you can interact with the opposing guys like that, especially a Southern, those guys do a great job of getting in their head. And I can see it being an old relief pitcher. You can tell when they're in their head. The only time you can say a word is after you've done your job. Until then, you're better off just focusing, getting loose. It's hard enough to pitch at Pete Taylor as it is, much less being an opposing guy. And uh, you better come in focused and not worried about somebody out there. But believe me, when you get those hecklers and you and you hear that stuff, once you've done your job and you get that W, it's a lot of fun to uh, to go give it back to them a little bit. And and most places, you know, Mississippi State, for example, those guys they'd give you they'd give you all the grief in the world. But as soon as the game was over, you'd go back and talk to them, and and uh, they'd be playing around, and they you'd leave with a rack of ribs or or some kind of barbecue or something, you know. And uh, it's just all in the fun of the game, and, and, and the fans do a great job at Southern Miss of, of doing their part and at other places as well. And that's the, that's the difference to me in pro ball and college ball is that atmosphere and that interaction with, with everybody being so close together and able to kind of to play off each other like that. It, it makes for a lot of fun. And if you're capable and you've got the mental fortitude to deal with it, then, um, you know, that's, what, that's the fun part about it. Oh, for sure, no doubt, man. I, I I thoroughly enjoy myself, and I don't even really give it to the guys that much. I just kind of listen to the rest of them, and it's um, it's uh, <laughs> uh well, I can't really describe it. <laughs> well, you know the, the the funny part about it is 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 what guys out in the stands and out in the roost and places don't realize is when you give up a bomb, uh, you know whether depending on the situation, obviously critical situations, they may wait till later the next day. But believe me, when you give up stuff like that, you hear about it as much from your teammates as you do anybody else. Absolutely. Uh, the ribbing can get pretty deep there to where it uh, sometimes requires stitches. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, uh, how long did it take you to get ready? Uh, that was that was actually one of my specialties uh, with Coach Palmer. I would, uh, you know, we, we had a signal to the bullpen because the phone didn't work half the time from the bullpen and other places didn't have it. When Coach Farmer would tell me to get ready, as soon as I threw my first pitch, I would tell them to let him know that I was ready because, first of all, I knew it was three or four more pitches before he would make a move uh, on most occasions, and Coach Palmer didn't have the fastest walk out to the mound. So, And then I knew I had eight on the field. So if I could get six to eight in the pen – then I had another eight out there. I was ready to go. I mean, I was a, I was a sidearm guy. I wasn't a velo guy, obviously. And, and, uh, I wanted those eight on the mound, especially on the road to kind of feel the texture and, and any holes or anything that had happened to the mound out there that I wasn't comfortable with to get out there and get fixed out there more than I was ever worried about getting loose in the pen. And to be honest with you, I, I hardly ever took all eight pitches in a game. Uh, right. I would take five or six. I would throw a couple of fastballs. I'd, I'd throw a spinner, a curveball, change up another fastball, and most of the time I was ready to go. And uh, that probably came from nerves more than anything. I was just uh, – I was so competitive, bumped that I just – I was ready to get some results one way or the other. The, the warm-up pitches weren't doing me or them any good. Let's get to it and find out what's about to happen here. 
Sure, sure. Um, so in along those same lines, Walner takes a while to get hot. Um, yeah, and, and has it's absolutely just dominating filthy stuff when he is hot. Um, who should be the closer on this year's team? You know, that's a good question. Walner has closing stuff, obviously. Uh, you only really need two pitches to be a closer. You, you, with his velo, that's that's his out pitch. But anytime you're a power guy, they always take longer. You know, I played with the Brandon Parkers and the Bill Cornishes of the world that were just power guys, and they threw forever. I'm like, I would be worn out if I threw that much before <laughs> I ever got in the game. But you know, one of the one of our weaknesses I thought we had coming into this season would be our starting pitching. Because anytime you lose three guys, obviously you got a weakness to feel, you know, or an opportunity to to adjust to. So in moving Sandlin to that role, they took care of that situation, and and it was a great move, and and he's done an outstanding job. But by taking care of a weakness, in my opinion, we have created another weakness, in the sense that he could he could give you more than one inning. You know, he could come in the seventh or or in the eighth with an out or two. And you knew the game was over. Mm-hmm. And right now, we don't have that guy. And I, I wish I could tell you who that guy was. Uh, I, I just I see our relievers come in. And the the key to being a shutdown guy is, is strikes. You have to throw strikes. You cannot come in in one run and two run games and and consistently walk people. That's the one thing you cannot do. If they hit you off the wall, you gave yourself a chance to compete. You gave somebody a chance to make a play, but you cannot, under any circumstances, come in and consistently walk people late in the game. And that's, to me, that's been our Achilles heel is, is the walks late in games. And it's kind of leading to big innings because as I said earlier, as you come in and you walk people and you can't find the zone, then you boot a ball behind you and then you hit a guy and then there's that guy that hits a double. And before you know it, as we've done on a few occasions this year, you've blown a four or five run lead in a matter of, uh, you know, 15 to 20 pitches. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so when's the last time you long tossed? <laughs> it would have been, uh, probably May of last year when I, when I hung up the, uh, the coaching shoes, I used to get out and, you know, I knew I was losing it bump when at 54 feet against 13-year-olds, I was having to give them all I could just to <laughs> compete a little bit. So I like to think it's because they hit that well, but I got a feeling it's because the old shoulders, it, it's about done. So maybe but not. In, in saying that, in saying that, I have to, I have to get it back in shape because uh, I just had a baby boy, which is my first boy, uh, two weeks ago. So I, I've got some, I've got some rehab to do, I guess is the best way to put it. Man, me and you both. You should see my backyard right now. Uh, there's a net to throw into because I, I have a 19-month-old. And, uh, you know, I, I think part of the reason that I decided to have a kid, honestly, was to have somebody I could throw with. <laughs> and by the time he's, and by the time he's going to be ready to do it, you know, I, I just hope that I can, you know, throw it that far. But, um, so maybe not right now. And congratulations on your baby. Absolutely. We, we need to get those guys on a baseball team. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt. I've, I've, I've got a friend of mine that I've coached with that he's got a boy a year older. So the pressure's already on that, uh, Kane's got, he's going to have to play up. So we'll, we'll all be around the same age. We'll make it work. And you know who else? Uh, Mark Maddox has a child now, uh, around the same age, around the same age as, as my child, Jack. So that's, a, that's a nice Sounds little like quartet. Good, got a pretty good core player. Like, because look, like my kid's not going to listen to me. Your kid's not going to listen to you. Mark's kid's not going to listen to him. So between the three of us, we can, you know, make it work. I agree. I look forward to it. So maybe not right now. Um, as a, what are you, 41 years old? 41 years old, yes. Okay. So maybe not as a 41 year old, but if I had 21 year old Tyler Key, how would he fit into this baseball team? You know, I, I think, I think I would fit in kind of the same way that, you know, with the role that I had, I think that's kind of what they're missing. And not to say that I'm the guy that could fix it, but my type of guy that can come in, you know, Keller Bradford, for instance, he's, he's doing that job that, that I would have done. Uh, you know, 
and his dad, who who will, really was instrumental in teaching me along the way, he was at Southern Miss the same time I was, Chad Bradford. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that they're missing is is just somebody when when they get these innings, when when they got guys on first and second and one out that they can go to that they can count on religiously that hey we may give up one here but we're not going to give up five and right now that's their Achilles heel and, and and Keller's done it he's done it well at times and and you got other guys that have done it well at times but the problem is is nobody's doing it every time they tow the rubber and uh, that's what you got to have late in games to be consistent seventh eighth and ninth inning is you got to have that guy that can stop the bleeding uh and it's not for everybody you know that was that was kind of my thing back when i was playing it when we did inter squads in the fall coach palmer rarely had me start an inning uh with nobody on nobody out whenever i came in the game it was situational there would be first and second one out man on you know bases loaded no outs it was it was getting the mind ready uh, for those circumstances, because he knew better than I that that would be, you know, that would be my moments. And, and, uh, sometimes it worked out, sometimes it didn't. And, uh, that's where these guys got to continue to improve and just, you know, they're, they're 30 games into the season now. They know their roles. They know what's expected of them. And, uh, it's about getting hot at the right time. They just, they just need to, to, to get in their mind. Here's what we do. Here's how we need to do it. And I know that 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 coaches are in their ear and and they you know they know better than I about these guys and what their strengths and weaknesses are and and uh, just continue to putting them in in positions to succeed. In my opinion, we have a fantastic club this year. Um, but and every every time you hear a but, you know something's coming. Um, but to get nitpicky about it a little bit. I, I think just from an outsider's point of view, I don't go to practices. I don't talk to people. Um, I just watch. Um, I think losing people like Dylan Bordeaux, um, like like McCarty, Braley, um, and I think what you're getting to just a, just a second ago uh, with with your role, if you were 21 year old, you is maybe there's it's more of a, a leadership thing. I mean, not only did you have the ability, but just that that dude, right? That dude in the pen, that dude to come out. That's right. Uh, the guy in the in the um, in the dugout that can get up in somebody's face. Um, the guy that wants the ball. Um, as, as far as the leadership on this team, we're immensely talented, no doubt about that. I question whether uh, we have that guy right now, and I think maybe it's due to youth, maybe it's due to um, junior college transfers guys uh just getting their feet wet uh and walner could be that guy i'm not positive but i mean what, what does that make any sense to do you do you understand what i'm trying to blab out I, I totally agree i totally agree with you uh you know sometimes sometimes guys are great players but not great leaders and, and just the opposite you know you got guys that that may not be somebody who's your three or four hole hitter or your number one guy your closer but they're great leaders. And sometimes it takes courage when you're not that guy. You know, I never saw myself as that guy at Southern Miss, you know, being an 80-mile-an-hour side armor. Uh, but we had a group of guys that kind of took that role, and and people followed along because they saw how things went. They saw how things were supposed to go. And I think you're right with this team. You know, Walter is, is a he's a freak. He's an athletic freak. I don't know the guy. I don't know if he's a vocal guy that can kind of take people by the horns and, and lead them in the right direction other than I, here's how I play, do it as I do. But the problem you face with that sometimes, Bump, is it comes easy for some of them, and some of them it doesn't. So the lead by example, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But And then you got other guys like Mason Irby and guys like that that kind of came out of the gate slow that, that have some – you know, they've got some, some, some leadership underneath them and they've been there a while, but then they lose confidence in themselves. And when you do that, it's, it's hard to step up and try to lead others when, when maybe you're not feeling so secure about where you're at right now. But I definitely agree with you. Um, and, and I think coach Barry's addressed it in some interviews that I've heard, you know, leadership shows up on Sundays and midweek. And, and, and I say that in, Fridays and Saturdays, you got your best stuff going at each other. You kind of know what you got. And especially on Sundays when you've won two, you get that complacency 
on midweeks when you're playing somebody who who RPI wise isn't somebody that really gets your blood boiling, but leadership gets you prepared to play the game. And and if you're doing it right, and Coach Barry preaches it all the time, you never play your opponent. You're always playing the game. If you hit, run, throw, and catch, if you do that right, more times than not, you're going to win the game. And you know, it just seems like we we get we get that complacency. We get those. I call it the snowball effect in these big innings where, you know, an avalanche starts with a, with a pebble. You know, if somebody picks up that pebble, it stops the entire avalanche from happening. But if nobody picks it up, then here we go. You know, the whole inning's wiped out by something that could have been stopped by somebody taking that leadership role or, or wanting the ball or, or making a play and uh, getting everybody out of a jam. Oh, man, I could not agree more. Um, so – how would you pitch to our three, four, five guys? You got Reynolds, you got Walner, you got Slater. And I know they're all lefties. Um, and we addressed that earlier, but I mean, like, as an opposing pitcher, I mean, what, what in the world are you, are you thinking, um, at that point? I mean, I think Walner and Reynolds are both, uh, at the top of the, uh, at the top of the, uh, conference, um, standings as far as conference rankings with RBIs and home runs and Slater's right there as well. So, I mean, like, what, what in the world do you do? Well, I can tell you, from my standpoint in the real world, I'm never going to see those guys in a row. That's going to be one of those days <laughs> where Coach Palmer says you're coming in later or you're not coming in at all. Uh, I would hope to get one of them out, uh, and maybe the next guy gets on and maybe look up and get a righty up for a double play is how I would pitch them. But that's, that's murder's row right there. I mean, you know, when they're rolling, you've got protection for each one of them. Uh, you know, I think that was part of Walner's struggle early in the year was he was not being pitched to. And, uh, you know, he, he may be, he may be, uh, obviously wanted to come out of the gates blazing and uh, could have taken a few more pitches, but he's obviously settled in. Reynolds has been everything that, that we heard he was. It's very rare that you hear about the transfer. You know, you always hear the transfer, how great they are. And, uh, rarely does it turn out to be what you, what you've heard. But he has been all that and more. Uh, I can I can just tell you, bump. I'm, I'm pitching I'm pitching off the black mm-hmm. uh, and, until I have to. I'm gonna hope they chase something that that I've served up, uh, and hope I don't make a mistake. Because with those three guys up, if you make a mistake, uh, the next words out of your mouth are ball, and that's meaning <laughs> you're asking the umpire for a new one. Absolutely. Um, so we got Middle Tennessee this weekend. Uh, Middle Tennessee currently sits at six, eight, and one somehow in the conference. Okay, and Rice is also six, eight, and one. So somehow Middle Tennessee and Rice tied a game, um, nineteen and seventeen overall. So they do have a winning record. Um, do you know anything about Middle Tennessee outside of we're just you know, you know we're, we're playing them in a few days? Yeah, you know I don't know anything about them specifically, but but I know records can be misleading. Uh, obviously up in the Tennessee area, I'd be willing to bet that their midweek competition has been the Vandys and the Tennessees of the world. Uh, that's usually how college baseball kind of flows. Uh, this is another one of those series bump where we need a sweep. And, and you know, any coach will tell you that two out of three is good and a sweep is great, but we've blown some opportunities for some sweeps. And, and I think all those guys would agree with me in saying that. Uh, and we, we haven't hit that streak yet. Uh, obviously we're ranked where we are and, and that's all fine and good. But in my opinion, which is a great thing, this team has not hit their stride yet and has not gotten hot. And, and middle Tennessee is one of those teams where if you come in and, and you don't make the play here or there, it's going to be just like the previous weekend when we had the five run inning, uh, before you know it, you're going to be in a hole. So you got to come out, you got to play golden Eagle baseball. Obviously, I don't, I haven't heard, maybe you do what Sandlin's situation is, but that would obviously help. Uh, haven't heard of Pete. You know, yeah, yeah, that's, that's been kind of quiet. I don't think he threw it all this past weekend. So that tells you a little something. Uh, so Middle Tennessee is, is one of those, one of those teams. It's like a Memphis back from my days or, or the Louisville's back then who are now a national powerhouse. Uh, they're just scrappy. You, you got to show up and play. Uh, if you do your thing, you come out with three wins. If you don't, then two out of three or, or, or maybe even less, one out of three. And before you know it, you're dropping in the polls and, 
in the RPI rankings and and that chance that slim chance that we have at this point in the season to host is uh, out the window. So every weekend counts in college baseball. That's one of the great things about it. And uh, the next one is the most important, as I'm sure Coach Barry would tell you. Oh, no doubt. And you know, you look at what we say the record was uh, six, eight, and one. They're kind of they're, they're filling up kind of the bottom third of the uh, conference standings. Well, they'll, they're thinking to themselves, you know what? This is our chance this weekend. Like, if we don't start doing something right now, you know, heck, not all the teams even make the conference tournament. So, um, so right. as far as that goes, and I, I'm just kind of thumbing through some of their stats here, but a couple of their leading hitters, uh, Aaron Ocker, uh, hitting 347, eight home runs, 44 RBIs. That sounds an awful lot like Walner and, and, uh, Reynolds and, and Slater, really. Um, he's actually leading the conference in RBI. So that's their Walner. There's another guy named Austin Dennis, 351, four home runs, uh, 16 stolen bases. That's a lot of 16. That's a lot of stolen bases. He's actually 16 of 19. So he's fast. Another guy, LA Woodward, was also with 16 stolen bases. So maybe that's something to look forward, uh, or look, not really look forward to, but, but look for if you go out to the Pete this weekend. Uh, let's see, their pitchers, they have a team ERA of 5.81. It's like Carson Lester, Jake Wyrick kind of pitched the most, 43 innings and 39 innings. Uh, hey, Austin Dennis, the guy we just talked about hitting. Austin Dennis is also a pitcher. 13 wow, innings pitched. Yeah, 13 innings pitched, 13 Ks with a 1.32 ERA. So, anyway, if you go out to the Pete this weekend, maybe that's a few things that you can look for. Um, a couple more things, man, and we'll get you out of here. I know you got off a plane and you're, you're, you're on the line with us, just like on the way to the hotel, and I really appreciate it. Um, can we talk a little bit about something that's very important to me? I think it's important to you. Um, is it's the importance of staying involved in the program? I, I, you know, like Eagle Club, Dugout Club, touch whatever, just staying around the program, giving back, um, and 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 trying to literally take Southern Miss to the top. You know, you're exactly right, and and you, everybody knows our fiscal situation at Southern Miss. But then, if you look at the baseball, if you look at the baseball program. It kind of is holding its own nationally. And, and I give 100% credit to the dugout club and the Eagle club for that and the participation that we have from all of these people that are supporting the program. I mean, you know, you look at, you look at the facilities that we have now and, and I, I can tell you, you know, I've got a, I've got a cousin that's being recruited right now to play some football, potentially D1. And I can tell you these kids, one of the first things they look at is facilities. They may not know what your record's been for the last three years, but when they see the facilities, that stands out. And, and, and all of that, or most of that is coming from the being able to give back and, and, you know, the ex-athletes and, and obviously the roost, which is, which is, you know, that's those guys support this program, not only with their mind and, and bodies out there all the time in bad weather, but with their pocketbooks. And, and that's key to the success of this program. Uh, as they continue to move forward, the, you know, it's, it's just the, the program and, and the facilities stand on their own. When you go look at other places and other places in Conference USA, I mean, it, it's, it's one of its own. It, there's nothing that even compares to it. You know, Rice and, and Reckling Field obviously has its reputation in history, but I would put Southern Mystic up against any of those. And, and that's all because of the participation uh and the, the activity of the dugout club and and people just continuing to just want to see success and and wanting to be involved in success and for all those that aren't inside that fence that's the best way to do it is just you know give a little bit here or there and and uh you'd be amazed at how far that money travels and that's one thing about southern miss and and everything that we do is they know how to stretch a dollar because obviously the budget's been tight for a while uh, but they do a great job of, of getting the bang for their buck there and, and doing more with less. For sure, man. Right on. Um, so spring game this weekend, who you got? <laughs> uh, I'm going with the Eagles this weekend. <laughs> I, I'm taking the over, and I'm going with the Eagles this weekend. You know, I just hope uh, – I, I, I don't know much about the football, where we're at with spring. Obviously, I keep up with them during season. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would sure like to find a quarterback uh, that that we know and and trust going into the fall. I, I just 
the team needs that leader. They need to know who that guy is. That's the most important position in sports, in my opinion. And uh, to continue a battle and keep everybody in limbo, even though they probably know more than than the public does, I would just like to see somebody break out and uh, take the bull by the horns there and uh, take us back to, to uh, prosperity there on the football field. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, dude, thank you so much for coming on. Um, we always, I've kind of stolen this from Jamie, but he always ends the interviews by asking if you have any final thoughts for the Golden Eagle faithful. Hey, to the top. Uh, keep pulling hard. We know, we know that, uh, you know, we have our ups and downs at Southern Miss, but, uh, we're always headed in the right direction. So to the top. That was Tyler Key. If you guys enjoyed that interview, special thanks to Tyler for coming on the show. You guys, be sure you, you follow us on Twitter at to the top talk at Jamie underscore Arrington and at bumper J Bailey for Jason on Facebook as well to the top talk. Jamie Arrington Comedy. Look for this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, pretty much most anywhere you can get a podcast. We are there. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Share with your friends. Help spread the black and gold gospel. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, Southern Miss to the top.